The Lord be with you. What a privilege it is for me to once again be able to share God's Word with you in this place. Um, it's indeed been three years since I retired. I can't imagine that. As we think about that, I remember telling council two years prior to my retirement, by the way, in 2020, um, there's going to be a retirement taking place, and now that's already five years ago that I first let that word out. And um, wow, I can't believe it, but it's good to be here. And so as we're dealing with all in the family with this particular theme from Genesis, uh, this is only the second for the whole summer, uh, the stole that I had, it also gives me an opportunity to wear it, of course, because I got it and I don't have much opportunity to wear it. But the stole that I have indeed talks about the past, talks about the present, and talks about the future and God's promises also for the future. And as we open the book of Genesis, we're talking, and as we're talking about all in the family, we're talking about the past and our family, and we're also talking about the present, and we're talking about the future. And so it's a little bit of a learning or a little teaching object, object lesson, whatever, for, for this event as well. So let's go to the Scriptures and to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12, the verses 1 through 9. The Lord said, had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moriah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued toward the Negev. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Brothers and sisters in Christ, as mentioned last Sunday, the summer series of sermons concerning all in the family began with a look at the creation story. As Pastor Tom put it, in the beginning God gave us a place to stand and a place to grow. And ever since he did that, it's an earworm. Now it's stuck in my head. But it wasn't Ontario. The new creation and the Garden of Eden were designed for humans to flourish in a lavish, bountiful, beautiful, colorful, fulfilling, refreshing place. 
Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it was the cultural mandate given to human beings. And we don't know how long, but for some time, human beings did thrive as they lived in the garden and walked in the cool of the day, communicating and communing with the Creator. But you know the story. Then all went awry when people figured they wanted more than they had, and they rebelled against the Lord. At that moment, all the thriving and all the growing were stunted as people became slaves to sin. The fall separated people from God, from each other, and from the very creation that they were called upon to enjoy and steward. And all of this came to a reality, all of this came to a reality when they were expelled from the garden, the very place that they had been placed to stand and to grow. And the reality of that fall has been with us ever since something that we experience daily. But the good news or the gospel is that the creator of all things who created us to thrive and to grow and who declared it all excellent was not about to let all that he had done, all that he had made go down the tubes, so to speak. As Pastor Tom said, God did not give up on his creation even after he expelled us from his garden. He stayed in relationship with us, keeping covenant with the creation he had made even when it fell away from him. He found a way for people with their messy lives to live before him and still enjoy his presence and creative love. God made a plan that does not bring us back to the garden, but to a new place of thriving, to a renewed heaven and earth. And that plan, of course, led to the coming of Jesus, the Word made flesh, the Word who was in the beginning with God, as the Apostle John wrote in the opening words of his gospel. But before all the promises of God were fulfilled with the Word becoming flesh and dwelling among us in Jesus, before all of that was the Old Testament and the book of Genesis, which records something of our spiritual heritage, our family history. And while there are many characters in the earlier chapters of Genesis, this morning we're looking at the person of Abram. And if you have your Bibles in front of you, you can see that his story covers a good chunk of the narrative in Genesis, namely chapters 12 through 25. Abram was an important figure in biblical history. He was the great-grandfather of Jacob, who was also known as Israel. In other words, Abram was one of the patriarchs, one of the fathers of the people of Israel. In fact, both the Jews and the Arabs claim Abram as their father, because besides being the father of Isaac, Abram was also the father of Hagar's son, Ishmael, who in turn became the father of a great nation from whom the present-day Arabs stem. But the Bible goes even further and insists that Abram was not only the father of the Jewish nation or of the Arabs, but even more so, he is the father of all believers, which includes you and me, as well as all who came before us and all who will come after us. That's also why his name was changed from Abram, meaning exalted father, to Abraham, meaning father of many. 
So today, Jews, Muslims, and Christians claim Abram as their spiritual ancestor. So if we were to put together a photo album of our spiritual family like we do of our biological families, Abram would be on one of the very first pages of that album. If we were to draw a spiritual family tree, Abram would be right at the root of the tree. And this is wonderful to know because it means that the stories and the people that we're going to be hearing about all in this All in the Family series are not just some old dead guys from the past, from ancient times, totally unrelated to us, but they are people who fit into your and my spiritual family album. Their picture is part of our life, part of who we are. Now, often at the death, at the time of a death of a parent or a grandparent, time will be spent by the family reflecting on or telling some stories about the deceased. And since a funeral does not allow you to talk about every event in a person's life, that's what biographies are for, people usually narrow it down to a few essentials, giving some pictures of the life lived. And over the years, I've been through many a funeral um, and heard many eulogies about the legacy left behind by the person who died. They're usually heartwarming stories about the person's quirks and quirks and, and, they're meant to the, and what they meant to the family or at least to the person who's giving the reflection. And the stories allow at the funeral the family or the audience to laugh or, or to wipe a tear from their eye. But certainly at a Christian funeral, the stories ought to go beyond merely some anecdotes about someone's personality or life. Christians, Christian funerals, first and foremost, really ought to recount something about God's grace in the life of the deceased, and such events ought to include something about the person's response to those claims of the Lord on their life. And so often a testimony to what the Lord meant to the person is relayed either through a chosen passage of Scripture or through some song or through stories being told. And that's important because it reminds us that there's a whole lot more to life than what we do or the roles that we played. It's important to know whose you are. I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And what a difference such an ownership makes. Well, as we reflect on the life of Abram, we see from Genesis 12 that he came to a point in his life where he understood or somehow came to understand to whom he belonged. And as a result, he has left us a wonderful legacy worth not only reflecting upon, but also building upon. There's a whole lot that can be said about his life, much more than we could talk about in one sermon. So perhaps it's helpful for us to go to Hebrews 11, verse 8, where we read this, his epitaph, as it were. Hebrews 11, verse 8, and following, By faith, Abraham recognized who he was recognized who God was, recognized who he belonged to, and he followed God's call. Now, people don't usually begin telling their life stories the moment of their move to a new place or, 
or a moment of their immigration. Usually a good chunk of their life has already taken place before they move somewhere. But this is precisely where Abraham's story begins. We're not told a whole lot about his birth or his early years, but we pick up his story at the time of his immigration from Ur of the Chaldeans. With Abraham began a whole new section or portion of biblical history. And if you have your Bibles open, go to the chapters 11 and 12 of Genesis. Prior to Abraham arriving on the scene, we read that the world had become a terribly godless and wicked place. And can you imagine this? God came to the point that he regretted that he had made it all, and so he destroyed it with a flood. There was a time God had said, it is excellent, it is beautiful, you are to thrive here. And then he rested on the seventh day, and he reveled in it, and he enjoyed it. But now it came to a point where he would just as soon destroy it all. The place created to allow us to thrive and become and to grow became just the opposite and worth judgment. And yet, because of the promise made to Adam and Eve about the coming deliverer through their seed, God saved believing Noah and his family. And once Noah and his family were released from the ark, it was as if, as if a whole new era of history had begun. But the problem was that that new era of history was really not a whole lot different than before the flood. Sin continued to have its foothold on the world. Again, people did not believe in the Lord or follow his commandments to fill the earth. What's with people? As Genesis 11 relates, they wanted to live in one place and started to build a tower to heaven, but that's not what God had in mind. After all, the mandate was to fill the earth and subdue it, was to thrive and to grow. And so the Lord confused the languages of the folks of the Tower of Babel, and people then were scattered all over the place. Now everyone spoke a different language, and construction on the tower was halted. Scattered people, however, didn't learn a whole lot from God's intervention. They still did not serve the Lord or trust Him. And yet, despite the disobedience and the godlessness of the nations, the Lord did not abandon his plan of salvation. That's the wonderful thing, the message of the Scripture. The Savior was still promised, and he would come. And the one who was to come would shed his blood and give his life for those who believe. But the people, the one that he was to, was to come, and the people that he would call out were to be different from the people of Abram's day. The one who would carry out God's plan of salvation who would not and could not reflect the values or the lifestyle of the people in the world at Abram's day. And to teach the world at that time and for all time that the coming Messiah would be completely unlike godless human beings and yet someone who was fully man, God called out or chose a nation from which the Redeemer would be born. And once that nation was chosen and called out from among all the other nations of the world, the Lord commanded them to live a separate life. He called them to obedience. 
And within this called out, obedient, separated nation, the knowledge of his name, the holy name of God, would be preserved. And those who are members of the separated, called out, chosen nation were required to live by faith in the Lord their God and to break from the ungodliness and the idolatry of the other nations. You see, the nation that God called out through Abraham was to be totally different from any other nation that existed. They were to be a beacon in the darkness. They were to be a standout. Their lifestyle, their worship of the one true God and so on was to eventually teach the other nations to forsake all their sinful ways as well. It was to this nation that all people were to be drawn because this is how things were to be. But at the time of Genesis 11, that special nation had not yet been called out. It was to be established first and to come from one man, and that man, of course, was Abraham, the father of all believers. Abraham, as he was first known, was the Lord's chosen one. He was the one from whom God's special people were to come. Now, why Abram? We can only speculate as to why, what some of the reasons may be. Certainly, Abram was no better than anyone else, and his wife was barren, so it doesn't seem a logical choice. And yet, God chose him. Abram was of, the, of Shem's line of the family of Noah, and this is the family line through which God was going to carry out his plan of salvation. The latter part of Genesis 11 tells us that Abram lived with his wife Sarai and his brother Nahor and his wife and their father Terah in Ur of the Chaldeans. Ur was an industrial center, and as a result, the population overall was well-to-do. It was also the center of the moon god worship. And it was thought that Terah, Abram's father, was into the culture of his day and also worshipped idols. And so idols and the culture of the world was very much part of Abram's culture and home life. And it was from Ur of the Chaldeans that Abram received God's call to move. How exactly all that went, it's not told us. There was no indication in the Bible that Abram was restless and that he was contemplating moving anyway. He might have been rather content and... and secure where he was, and yet he responded for the call to go. And so it was that Abram, Atera, Abram, Sarai, and their not, uh, nephew Lot moved northward to Haran, or to Haran. And Genesis 11, verse 31 tells us that they settled for a while in Haran. But Haran was not much of a better place than Ur, for the people who lived there, including Terah, kept their Chaldean moon god worship rituals. And yet if God's plan of salvation were to be fulfilled, if God's people were going to make any impact on the world, if they were to thrive and grow, if the godlessness of the age was to be stopped from swallowing all of humankind, a separation had to take place. And so in Haran, Abram received a second call or a repeat of the first call telling him that he would have to leave all behind, all that he knew, all that he loved. He was to leave his father's home, his family, his land, everything, and go and live where the Lord would show him to go. Again, we're not told how this command was transmitted to Abram. Rather, we're simply told that it was transmitted, 
And Abram was fully convinced that it was the Lord's command. Abram was told that he had to emigrate. He had to make a complete break with the sinful, godless society he had been involved with. Now, that's quite something if you really come to think of it. Because he had apparently no idea where he was going. And he also knew that he would never come back. He had to move out and on and follow the Lord's lead. Now this command, this new lifestyle introduced by God in the life of Abram, taught Abram and succeeding generations that life with the Lord is entirely different from the sinful life to which people are generally accustomed. One in which, as originally planned, would allow for the intended thriving and growing. The one who was coming to reunite people with the Lord and with each other, namely Jesus, would not share in the evil of the godless generation such as Abram's. Actually, he would transcend it and live righteously in the spirit of the Lord. And all of this becomes clear in the call to Abraham. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you, verse 2 and 3. Abraham would be the one through whose descendants the Savior of the world, namely Jesus, would come. And of course, Jesus would bring, be a blessing to the nations of the world because he would give his life as a sacrifice for the sins of all those from every nation who believe in him. God's intention is that his people have a life filled with abundance and creativity and beauty all possible through the death and resurrection of Jesus, something we're reminded of every time we celebrate the Lord's Supper. And you know, the wonderful thing about this whole story, according to the author of Hebrews, is that by faith, Abram went. He left Haran and followed the leading of the Lord. He didn't know where he was going. He didn't know how he could ever become a great nation because his wife Sarai was barren, was unable to have children. And yet, there he went by faith. He obeyed the Lord in the absolute assurance that God would not mislead him, sure that he would live in the promised land someday, and sure that somehow from him and his barren wife a great nation would emerge. Abram set his eyes clearly on the Lord, broke with everything he had ever known, and started traveling. And now the New Testament writer in Hebrews says to his audience and to us, remember, remember Abraham, our great, 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 who knows how many times great grandfather. Don't forget the faith he left home with. Surely he was a man of true faith. He knew the Lord would be faithful to him and not let him down, and he took the Lord fully at his word. What a legacy. What a source of encouragement Abraham is for all who came after. Here's a man who gave up everything for the Lord and a man who, while it seemed like he was promised the impossible, became the father of a great nation, a nation that foreshadowed a much greater nation, which includes you and me.
It's interesting to note that when the Apostle Peter addresses the church, he says in 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. He must have had Abraham in his mind when he wrote this. For a Christian like Abraham really is an emigrant, as it were, from the world of sinfulness, from the old nature, and an immigrant into a new world, a life of service and obedience, the new nature. And Christ, through his death, made the immigration possible. This means, of course, that as disciples of the Lord, we have been chosen, called out, separated from those who are not of the Lord. And when people look at us, the idea is, like when they looked at the Israel of, of old, they ought to see what it means to be kingdom people and therefore drawn to us. The Apostle John writes that we are in the world but not of the world. That means like Abram was called to leave the worldness, worldliness of Ur and Haran, even his father's home, so we are called to break with the sinfulness of this world and our lives. That which is displeasing to the Lord and not God-honoring must be put behind us, never to be revisited. How you doing with that? What makes you as a Christian, a professing Christian, different from your neighbor who may not profess Jesus as Lord? How are we doing as a church, as a body of believers, a body of Christ? How worldly or how separate have we become or how worldly have we become? What sort of aroma are we to the world? What sort of a light are we to the world? A faltering light, a dim light, a pleasing aroma, a stinky aroma? Do people want to be part of us? Do people want to be part of the kingdom? Somehow I have the feeling that if we're honest, we have to say we're not doing that terribly well as a Christian community, and we say that with a lament and with a tear in our eye, because we should be. Now, Abram was not perfect by any means. And there's plenty of stories in Genesis that would tell us such. And yet by faith, he left his home, the foreign false gods, everything in order to serve the God he loved. And he had his eyes focused on the Lord's promises concerning the promised land and concerning the coming Savior and concerning even that future promised land which was beyond the land of Canaan, namely the new earth. But all of that was invisible to him. Those were the sources of hope in Abram's life. And he, so then he acted upon the Lord's promises. He obeyed and he went, says the writer of Hebrews. What's your and my legacy? Where's the focus of our eyes? 
on the things of this world or on the things of the Lord. There is a difference. We haven't fully reached our destination as yet. We're still traveling to reach the place that we will stand and truly grow, namely the new earth. And that land, that thriving, abundant inheritance is surely to come for the believer. Like Abram, the immigrant, we are to continue to move forward in the faith, all the while partaking of Lord's Supper until he comes again. This meal and our fellowship as believers are to be, a, are to be and are a tiny foretaste of what is to come. And sometimes we may be led on our paths in on paths in our lives that cause us great concern or that puzzle us, much like we are can be sure happened to Abram. But the promise is that we if we continue to follow in faith, we will receive the amazing crown of glory. You and I may never be like Abram in terms of his stature and place in biblical history. But by faith, you and I certainly will one day, at least that's my hope, will be able to join him as it were in the bleachers of heaven, urging others on and singing God's praises. By faith, Abram, our forefather, our great, 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 great grandfather, immigrated from Ur and followed the Lord to a place he didn't even know. Tell that story to each other once in a while. And by faith, Abraham reached his rich inheritance. So by faith, we too will be richly blessed for his glory. Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, how wonderful the gospel. How special. How beautiful. You created us to thrive and to grow, and you created us to live in a beautiful, beautiful world and universe. What a mess we made of it. We lament that. But thank you, O Lord, for your promise of Jesus for the plan of salvation. Thank you, Jesus, that you came, that you lived, that you suffered, that you died, but that you rose again. And now we await your coming in glory. Oh, Lord, make us a people, make us a church, a denomination, a body of believers who are faithful, and who are attractive, and who are bright and shining and proclaiming a gospel of thriving and growing and abundance and hope, because that's the good news we have to share in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for this morning and for an opportunity to be together and to worship together. And now, as we go into the Feast of Celebration, we pray that we may remember all that Jesus Christ has done for us. May each and every one of us know that we belong to you, our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, and may we understand what difference that makes in our world.
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.